Praise the Lord. And the people of God again said, Amen. Without Him, how absolutely lost and hopeless we would be. Thank you, Sister Cindy, Sister Amy, for that beautiful special this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do as you turn to the text that we read responsively out of Psalms as we continue in a series of of, of a select group of psalms that I've been expounding on uh, from. Um, in a series I've entitled Life Lessons from the Psalms. And indeed, these are intended to be messages that not only uh, theologically uh, share God's Word to us, but also challenges us, I hope, to apply the truths of God's Word to our lives that we might indeed be faithful in following after the Lord. And so I'll direct your attention there to Psalm 84. But before we launch into the text and to the, to the message, I, I wonder, what, what is it that you yearn for? As Cindy was singing about, you know, uh, without Jesus, how lost I would be. Do you yearn for the Lord? What, what place do you yearn for? What person do you yearn for? What is experience do you yearn for? I was thinking about, as I was preparing the message, places that I'd like to visit. And just right off, I knew there were there've always been certain places that I thought, well, you know, I'd like to go I'd like to go to Washington, DC to see the Smithsonian Institute, to, to tour through that great uh, museum and historical collection there. I, I'd like to go to uh, Hawaii. Uh, you know, I've always been fascinated by those uh, uh, paradise-like islands over there and just the fascination of that. I might be disappointed when I get there. I thought that it would be nice to go and visit the Holy Land, go to the nation of Israel to walk uh, on the paths uh, that Jesus walked and the disciples and see some of those ancient historical sites that mean so much to us. I'd like to visit again, I guess revisit, the, the area of Kenya, Africa, where we did work uh, years ago in Kanyapola, in the western part of, of Kenya, far western part, up uh, right on the border of the um, uh, Lake Victoria. And, and we have a ministry that we helped to start there called Jolly Kids Ministry that we'll be telling you more about. And we, we've helped to feed uh, orphans there. And I, I thought well, it would be nice if I had the time, had the resources or things worked out where I could go to visit any of these places. That would be nice to visit. But then in contrast, I asked myself, where are the places that I yearn to be? Deep in my spirit, in my soul, where are those places that I just yearn to be and miss when I'm not there? And right away, of course, I thought about home. You know that old saying, you got those old thing, uh, uh, pictures or uh, mantle coverings that say there's no place like home. And you know, when you're away from the familiar setting of your home and your own bed, how many times have I heard people say that on, who've been away on long trips or people that have been in extended stays in the hospital? Oh, I miss my bed, my own bed, my own pillow. You know, and it's just the familiarity of, of home that we miss when we've been away from our home for a period of time. Or, you know, when I talk about going home, of course, it's down here on Sea Pines Drive, but, but also you'll hear me talk about, I love going home, and I'm talking about the community in which I was born. 
and known as the High Plains community and that farm in rural part of Person County right on the Virginia border. I, I longed, I yearned to go back there because, you know, that's where I was born. That's where I was raised. That's where that little church you often hear me talk about where I first made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I have a yearning to, to go back there. I have a yearning to be here. When I'm away from Cornerstone for any period of time, for whatever reason, uh, I find myself thinking longingly about this church and you. And of course, one of the greatest yearnings of my heart, and I'm sure it is yours, is heaven. When we think about that, that, that destination of our soul, where God is, where our loved ones are, and how beautiful it is and how perfect it is, and what a glorious eternal home it will be. There's a yearning in my soul to be home in heaven. You know, the reason that these places are places I yearn for and not just want to visit, and you've guessed it, I'm sure, it's the people. It's the people who are there. It's not so much the buildings and the location, it's the people, the relationships that you have established through the years that have such a key part in your life. And so that longing, that yearning, if you will, comes out of that relationship. And as we look at Psalm 84 this morning, a psalm that's entitled, The Blessedness of Dwelling in the House of God. I want, you to, I want you to sense the yearning in the heart of the psalmist. And the psalm is credited to the sons of Korah. And I told you about their background as leaders of music in the temple complex or the tabernacle, if you will. And they're credited with writing this particular psalm. A psalm that expresses a, a yearning in their hearts to be in the house of God. And yet, I want to give you some points to ponder this morning. And, and first of all, let me offer a question that you, want, you might want to ponder. How much do you yearn to be in church? How much, is there, uh, how much of a longing is there genuinely in your heart to be in church and to be worshiping and serving and giving and participating in honoring and exalting the God of the universe. Is there a yearning in your heart? You see, despite the, the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 24 and 25, where he says, let us consider one another so as to stir up love and good works and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Despite we, the, the fact that we have a mandate in the scripture that tells us that we ought to be motivated to be together with other Christians and, and worshiping God and serving God and, and, and exalting the name of God. Some people are not motivated to go to church. Some people are not motivated to serve the Lord or give to the Lord or, or, or participate in church. And the reason is because there's no relationship with God. We shouldn't be shocked when people out in the world have no great yearning to be in church because there's no relationship with God. Yearning, longing, comes through that relationship. So if we are trying to understand why people say, well, you know, I can, church, I can take it or leave it, or I'm not interested at all, at the core of the problem is the fact that there's an absence of a relationship with God because a relationship with the Lord, a genuine, true 
faith relationship with Jesus Christ will motivate us to be in church and to worship God, to be a part of a local fellowship and to participate in the kingdom of God and to uh, join in exalting and lifting up the name of God and the cause of Christ. Now, not everyone who's motivated to be in church, though, this is another point to ponder. Not, not everybody who is motivated to be in church are motivated by the right reasons or for the right reasons. Surely there are on any given Sunday those people who show up at church to show off their latest fashion trends or fashion trophies in dress or hairstyle or jewelry or maybe for them it's a forum to catch up on latest gossip or latest sports statistics or maybe they want to, they're motivated to be in church so that they can come together, eat a meal or qualify for this church's softball team. I've heard it all. So I'm telling you, not everybody that shows up for church are motivated with a genuine biblical reason. The people who are truly motivated, according to the teachings of the Word of God, are those people who are in love with the Lord. Amen. Who understand the significance of worship being an avenue, a form whereby we have the privilege of expressing our love for God and our appreciation to the Lord and offer thanksgiving and the joy and the blessing of being a part of the family of God. It all comes out of that relationship with God. And as we look at Psalm 84, I want you to understand that the yearning of the heart of the psalmist comes from his relationship with God. And so the first thing that we'll look at in verses 1 through 4 in Psalm 84 is the yearning of the believer. The yearnings of a believer. Because the pilgrim's greatest joy would be to dwell in the house of the Lord. And you'll hear him say that. Look with me in verse 1. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. You'll find the first of three Beatitudes there in verse 4. In other words, the first of three blessings. The first one is here in verse 4. And you remember from Psalm 1 and then from the Beatitudes that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, that word blessed means happy, blissful, in, in the eyes of God, content. And, he's, and, and so the one who comes and yearns and desires to be in the presence of God is that person who is truly blessed Oh, listen to the, to the pilgrim, who, the Jewish pilgrim making his way to Jerusalem. There's not a more beautiful, more inspiring sight in all the world than when they come across the Kidron Valley and look up on Mount Zion and there to them the city of Jerusalem and more importantly at the apex would be the temple of God. Because you see to them that temple represented the presence of God. And so the yearning of the heart of the believer is to be in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God. And for an ancient Jewish worshiper, 
that would most perfectly be in the temple. Because you see, the, the presence of God was symbolized by the majestic tabernacle, tabernacle and temple complex. It was there that they sensed the presence of God. It was there in those massive walls of the temple with the great altars and the priests functioning and carrying at their feet their, their, their uh, uh, service there in the temple. It was in the midst of the temple complex that they sensed the presence of God and oftentimes referred to the presence of God in the temple. And he says, oh, how beautiful is your tabernacle, which would have been the predecessor to the temple, if you will. But also notice that not only is the presence of God there, but you may recall in you know, this, the, the, the presence of God even to the Old Testament Jews was not limited to the temple. For instance, David in that great pastoral psalm, and we often like to refer to the 23rd Psalm. David was a shepherd boy. He was out in the fields outside of the town of Bethlehem. And, and, and reflecting upon God. He, he saw the presence of God all around him. You know, and he talked about the, the Lord is my shepherd and he, he causes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he sensed the presence of God there. He, he leads me beside the still waters. He sensed the presence of God there. When David would look up into the night sky and says, Oh, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. He saw the presence of God in creation. But the essence of the presence of God was symbolized in the temple and to the, to the worshiper, to the writer of the Psalms, the one that led the music and led the people in singing praises to God. It was there in Jerusalem. And it was best experienced in Jerusalem in that pilgrimage. You know, Psalm 84 is one of a number of psalms that fit into a category called the Psalms of Ascent. Ascending, going up. Psalms that would depict pilgrims who were traveling from all over the nation of Israel and beyond. Making their way to Jerusalem for the purpose of being in the, the presence of God in the temple. And so as we think about the psalm of ascents, uh, there, there are a number of them. Let me take you back to Psalm 27. Just for instance, you, you find these different psalms that, that capture the, the excitement and the enthusiasm of people going to, to worship God. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 27, you can hold your place at Psalm 84, but in Psalm 27, David writes this psalm. And, and listen to, to the yearning of, of David's heart. As he's thinking about going up before the Lord, he says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle. He shall hide me, He shall set me high upon a rock. You, you sense in David, oh, how great it would be, how wonderful it would be just to be in, in the temple complex, in the presence of God. In fact, David says, I would like to spend all my days there. And even in Psalm 84, you sense that kind of sentiment in the writer of that particular psalm. Because he's talking about, oh, how beautiful uh, is your tabernacle. Oh, how, how I long to, to dwell there. Not just pay a quick visit. It's not a place I just want to visit. Oh, Lord, I just want to hang out with you. I want to be here and stay here and enjoy your presence. 
If you go beyond Psalm 84, there's a whole section of these so-called Psalms of Ascent. For instance, from Psalm 120 over to Psalm 134, and no, we're not going to read them all. But if you were just to turn over there to Psalm 120, for instance, and, and you'll see a whole collection of, 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 of psalms that are written from this perspective. as uh, These are worship psalms. These are psalms that people would think about and reflect upon as they would go to worship God. And let me just capture a few of, of, of the words out of, for instance, in Psalm 121, one of these songs of ascent, if you will. Listen to the, word of the psalm, words of the psalmist here. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's talking about the hills of Zion as I go. Where is my help? My help is in the presence of the Lord. That's where I want to be, you hear him saying. Or in Psalm 122, for instance, how many, I remember a little song we used to sing when I was a preschooler, and that's many moons ago. But I remember singing the words of Psalm 122 when it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Oh, I was glad when they said, unto me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Listen, to the heart of a true believer in that time period, no words could be sweeter than someone saying, it's time for pilgrimage. It's time to make our pilgrimage to Jerusalem. If you didn't have the privilege of living in the city of Jerusalem, listen, it was a great thing when they said, it is time for us to go up to be in the very presence of God. So, for the psalmist in Psalm 84, the yearning of his heart is the presence of God. And the presence of God was symbolized by the majestic temple complex or the tabernacle complex as it was at that particular time. But what about the New Testament believer? Should there not be a yearning in our heart as well? Now, I hope that you have a yearning to be at this location and, and because of what this location symbolizes to you. It's not about the building, the brick, the stained glass windows, the pews, and, and what have you. It's about who we gather with here. The presence of the Lord. But you know, God's presence for the New Testament believer is not symbolized in a building. Because... As we celebrate with the Lord's table, God's presence is actualized in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't have to go to some place to experience the powerful essence of the presence of God. Why? Because God manifested Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. You may remember in John's Gospel in chapter 1 and 14, it says, speaking of Jesus, in the beginning was the logos, in the Greek, the word Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus, or the word, was with God. And Jesus, the word, was God. And it goes on to say, and Jesus, the word, was made flesh and dwelt among men. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, listen, the presence of God 
was fully manifested in His Son when He came into this world. You know, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, when Jesus is telling His disciples about going to prepare a place for them, and, and He's describing to them that the way to God is through Jesus. He says, that, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. But then, you know, Philip asked Him, well, Lord, show us the Father. It, it, is, it is sufficient for us in, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 8. Listen to what Jesus said. Almost like a mild rebuke of His disciple. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Philip, Philip, Philip! Have you not gotten it yet? Don't you realize that the whole time that you have been in my presence, that you've heard my voice, that you've experienced my touch, Philip, every time that you've experienced me, you have experienced the Father. Don't you understand, Philip? I and the Father, we are one. So Jesus came into this world, and you know, we'll be celebrating in just a few weeks the, the wonderful message of Christmas and the occasion of Christmas, the birth of Christ. Do you remember the angel that came to, to um Joseph, as he was pondering, his wife was pregnant. He knew it wasn't his child. He was thinking about putting her away, divorcing her, you know, quietly and, and what to do. And God sent an angel to intercept that mission and made it clear to Joseph. He said, Joseph, the child that she's carrying is the Son of God. And Joseph, something else you need to understand about this special child that is in Mary's womb. He is the fulfillment of the words of prophecy such as the words of Isaiah the prophet that said, and his name shall be Emmanuel. God with us. Joseph, don't tamper with the plan because God is coming to the world in the form of this child. He is Emmanuel. And as he manifests himself in the presence of people, God will be here. And so for you and me, we don't have to go to a particular site. We don't have to make a long pilgrimage or halfway across the world and experience all the, 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 the hassles and the hardships of a pilgrimage when we have Jesus Christ living within us. That's the beauty of what we celebrate here at the table because of His broken body, because of His precious atoning blood that was shed for you and me. Jesus Christ became the sacrificial Lamb of God. And when He was resurrected on the third day, praise God, victorious over sin and over death, over the grave. Let me tell you something. He became the first fruit of the resurrection because we too, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become eternal creatures in Christ. We will experience resurrection at the point of death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus said to his disciples there in John's gospel in chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will pray the Father and he will send another helper. And he will be with you. In other words, he will be in you. Christ dwells in every born again believer in Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us in John's gospel, chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. Folks, you don't get any closer than that. Do you understand? Jesus in you. 
and us in Christ by faith. So that tells us right there. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear forth much fruit. And oh, how glorious it is to have the very presence of God dwelling within your heart everywhere you go. So some people say, well then, if I've got the presence of the Lord in me, why do I need to go to church? I'll tell you why. Because when the people of God come together, I don't know if you sense it. I sure hope you do. Because if you haven't, you're missing out on one of the great benefits and blessings of what it means to be a part of the local body of Christ. When local Christians come together, the presence of God is not only in one person, it's in two, three, four, and the presence of God is magnified. Oh, how my soul is lifted Sunday after Sunday or whenever we come together because of the presence of God in you that exhilarates my own spirit. We need to come together. That's why that Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 passage. But, but moving beyond the, the, the yearning of the believer, looking at verse 5 and beyond, let's talk about the, the priorities of the believer. Because not only did the psalmist here in Psalm 84 yearn to be in the presence of God, but he wanted to express why it was so important for him as a follower of God to be in God's presence. And, and one of the, the, the great priorities for him was trusting in the strength of the Lord Almighty. Trusting in the strength of the Lord Almighty. He knew he needed God. Amen. What about you? Are you one of these contemporary people that have fallen for the philosophies of this humanistic world that tells you, you don't need anybody. You don't need anyone. You're your own person. While you can be your own God, the whole universe will revolve around you. Oh, listen, people are coming to an abrupt and rude awakening when that plays itself out. Because ladies and gentlemen, we are born in this world with a great deficit in our soul. And only God can make up for that. The psalmist understood that he needed to trust in the strength of the Lord Almighty. And that's why he intentionally inserts in here, he refers to the Lord by the name, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. There, there are a plethora of Hebrew names for God, ranging from Elohim to uh, El Elyon to, to Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. But when he uses and employs the name, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, he's calling upon the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, which means this is the God, the true God, who is the commander of all of creation. It speaks of God's power. It speaks of His majesty. And so, when he's talking about the strength of God, look with me at verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, which also is referred to as the, the valley of weeping. It's a, it's a desolate, arid portion of, of Palestine that many pilgrims would pass through. But you'll notice he doesn't say when they pass through the valley of, of Baca, the va valley of weeping, that everybody's moaning and groaning like the children of Israel did in the wilderness about being thirsty and wanting water. Listen, when your eyes are on God, 
and your, your destination is the presence of God and you're relying on the strength of God, guess what? You don't worry about these temporal needs. You're, they're so preoccupied with being in the presence of God and trusting in God. Listen, it says, and when they traverse through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. It's almost like the waters of the blessing of God just flow out of them so that thirst, physical thirst, is not even an issue. And he says, besides, the rain also covers it with pools. During the rainy season, God would even send water such that there would be pools in the valley of Baca. But listen, listen to what he says in verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God or, or God in Zion. In other words, he says, they, these pilgrims on their way to be in the presence of God. It's almost like Paul says, we go from glory to glory. It's like, if you want to understand it in a visible way, think about them going from one fortress to the next fortress to the next fortress to the next fortress until they're in the very presence of God at the temple in Jerusalem. He says, look, we go from strength to strength. Your strength, oh God, never, never runs out, is never depleted. We'll never call upon you for our strength and you never supply it. They go from strength to strength. In verse 8, he says, O Lord, God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. I think it's important. Not only is the psalmist praying for himself, but the psalmist is also at this time symbolically referring to the king. When he talks about the king, our shield, the anointed one. You see, a true believer a Jew of that day understood that the king was not just a political office that was instituted by God. Listen, the king was an anointed individual that God would select to lead his people. To lead them where? To God. To be an example for them. To hold up the name of God. He, the king was the very one that they looked to, to, to be like a shield to them, to, to bring protection to them, and to also reflect God to them. Listen, it was important. It was important to the psalmist as it would be to all faithful Jews of that day, not only to pray for themselves, but to pray for the king. I think about... Over in Great Britain, they still, you know, they traditionally sing, you know, God save the king and, you know, God save the queen. You know, a good Britisher is always going to throw in, you know, God make sure you save the king or save the queen, you know. Nowadays, we hear more despairing talk about our leaders. But anyway, we need to pray for our leaders. Amen. But, but, but the psalmist says, oh God, watch after the one that you have anointed, that you have called to lead us and to protect us and we draw from that strength. Christians, on the other hand, know that we can fully trust in the Lord. We also know that we can trust in the Lord. This is also one of the great priorities of the believer. Do you trust in God? Or do you simply say that you do? We sing that song, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Do you really trust God? Do you trust Him with the most valuable thing of your life? The most valuable relationship of your life? Do you place them fully in the hands of God? Or are there certain things that you think are safe with God, but then you want to hold on to those other things that maybe you treasure a little bit more? Huh. Friend, let me tell you something. You can't do better than to trust in the Lord. 
We know the Scripture tells us that we can trust Him with every provision that we ever need. Beginning with salvation. We can trust Him to save us from the penalty of our sins. That's what Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can trust the Lord to save us. We can trust the Lord to bring peace into our turmoil life or into the midst of the chaos of the world. Listen, when we need peace, and I'm not just talking about man's peace, real, lasting, divine peace. Listen, Jesus has already promised it to us. In John chapter 14, verse 27, He said to His disciples, My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Listen, we know we can rely upon God to give us strength for anything we face. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you trust God to give you the energy, the strength, the willpower, the discipline to do the things that He's calling you to do? Do you trust God to supply your daily needs? Are you always scrounging and thinking and, and, and fretting and worrying about will we have enough food, will we have enough to pay the electric bill, will I have enough to do? Listen, God has already promised us that He would provide for all of our needs. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4.19. He says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All we've got to do is trust Him and call upon Him. How many of you trust the Lord for wisdom? Now, you may be puffed up and saying, well, I don't need it, Pastor. I'm as wise as I can be. Well, God bless your heart (laughs) and your brain. But the fact is, James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, and then all of our hands ought to go up there, I pray for wisdom a lot. And sometimes some of you will ask me, Pastor, how can I pray for you? And I'll just say it. I mean it. I mean it. Pray that God will give me wisdom. Any person in leadership should be seeking godly wisdom. But you know, James says, hey, if any of you lack wisdoms, ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to you. I can see those wheels turning in your mind now. Oh, that's what I'm going to ask for when I get back home. I'm going to ask for some wisdom. Yes, we need that. Oh, listen, we can look to the Lord. Our priority ought to be trusting in the, not only in the provision of God, but trusting in the promises of God. Do you understand that all through the Scriptures... All 66 books down through the hundreds and thousands of years that are represented by the collection of the Scriptures. All the promises that God has made. He has never broken one. He's never broken one. I think about the Native Americans because I is one. Especially here at Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to getting invited to somebody's Thanksgiving feast. I'll be bringing wild turkey and deer. Not. But anyway... I think about all the so-called peace treaties that our federal government made with the various tribes across the the whole nation, from the eastern tribes to the plains tribes to the western tribes. And the great white father, that's what they call the president back in the 19th century, the great white father would say, as long as the grass grows and the rivers flows and the breezes blow, well, the, the great white father will stand by his word. Not. So... I'm mighty glad that my God is not like our president or the government. God makes a promise. Listen, those promises are locked in. He's promised us of his, he's given us the promise of his presence. And you can rest assured when he tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can find strength in that. You can trust in that. He promised he would always be with us. When he promised, listen, when he promised that he would answer our prayers, 
Listen, God doesn't have a deaf ear. His arm is not too short. He's not so far away. He's not deaf that He can't hear. Jesus says, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it will be done unto you. That's a promise from the Lord. He's given us a promise of a place that we call home in heaven one day when Jesus says, there in My Father's house are many mansions. He says, if we're not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, that's a promise. There's no one that can short circuit that, that passage from this earth into heaven between you and God. Listen, Jesus has promised that. I like one of the promises that is reflected in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Look, this ought to light your wood and get your fire burning when you think about He's promised this to those of us who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says about what it means. One of the benefits of being children of God in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? You're not just some ordinary human being walking around on the face of the earth. You've got Christ dwelling in you. You've got stamped on your heart, child of God. And with that, every blessing of heaven is yours. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All the blessings of heaven are ours to claim one day when we step over into glory. All because of the promises of God. Amen. Oh, listen, the priorities of a believer, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, is standing on the fact that you can trust God. Amen. You can trust Him with every facet of your life well finally i want us to look at the last two three verses there verses 10 through 12 as we talk about the praises of the believer the praises of the believer i think it's interesting as you look at the contrast that he paints a picture if you will in verse 10 he says for a day in your courts is better than a thousand he said basically the psalmist is saying listen lord if i could just be in your court just a day I'll take that over a thousand days anywhere else in the world. As he thinks about how glorious it is, the priority of the psalmist is there in the presence of God. Look what he says. I'd rather, in verse 10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, doorkeeper, you see them at these fancy hotels, somebody there watching the door, opening the door, letting people in and out. You know, I, I suppose it's not the most prominent job to have. You know, probably in that day, you know, a doorkeeper was just somebody that was just hanging out around the door, opening the doors and maybe getting tips or something like that. And, and, and the psalmist says, Lord, listen, listen, I, I'll take that job. I'd rather just hang out at the door of your dwelling place than to live in the plush, luxurious tent of the wicked. Just being close to you, Lord, just being in your presence, O oh God, means more to my soul than anything that the world could possibly provide for me. How valuable is the presence of God to you? True believers are motivated to experience God in worship, and that's what was motivating this psalmist here. Look at verse 11. For the Lord God 
is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in You. Look at the benefits of God's presence right there. He says, oh God, you are our sun. Folks, take the sun out of the solar system and I'll tell you what you get. You get all dead planets. I know the earth is the only live planet, but you take this earth, the sun out of the, our solar system and the earth will be just as dead as Pluto or Saturn or any of the others. Listen, the sun is life. To the universe because of the light it gives, the warmth it gives, the life it gives to this planet. And God, the psalmist says, you are our sun. We revolve around you. You are our shield. You protect us. You're always here for us. Shielding and guiding and protecting us. And that's what the Lord is for us. And that's why He so yearned. He says, you give grace and you give mercy Does God give us grace? Amen, He does. Not just grace, folks. He gives us amazing grace. We saw that symbolically represented at this table today. Oh, what grace when the God of the universe, holy and high and lifted up and all-powerful, would choose to send His only begotten Son into this world for wicked, depraved, undeserved, rebellious sinners like me and like you. Oh, listen, grace is that undeserved measure of of God's pleasure towards us. That which we could never do for ourselves, God has done. Listen, you better believe God gives to us grace and He gives to us glory. The glory of God we can sense every day. When you're in in the Word of God and God speaks to your heart, you see the glory of God. When you're in the presence of other believers and you're worshiping God and the Spirit of God is obvious, listen, you are in the presence of the glory of God. Look at creation around you. Listen, if nothing else doesn't, if nothing else excites you, go out and look at the handiwork of God and see the glory of God splashed all over before our eyes. He gives us glo- glory. I want to bring us to an end by taking you all the way over to in Philippians in chapter 3 because Paul understood the significance of the presence of the, of the Lord and, and this communion with God in Christ Jesus. Just as the psalmist was putting everything in the right perspective and getting his priorities right when it comes to the presence of God, you better believe the Apostle Paul that one time persecutor of the church and greatest, greatest missionary of the gospel that ever walked the face of the earth and would become a martyr for the cause of Christ Himself. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul, thinking about all of the accolades of praise that were his before Christ, all of his accomplishments theologically, educationally, his prominence in the religious community of leadership, and on and on and on. Paul had so many things that he could have boasted of. But look what he says in verse 8. He says, But indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, which Paul says I had before, I thought I did, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death, if by means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, as Anne Graham Lotz wrote in her book, just give me Jesus. Nothing else in this world compares to the joy and the, the satisfaction and the completion of being in the presence of the Lord and having the presence of the Lord in me. I hope and I pray that this is the yearning of your heart. I pray that this is the priority of your life. That this is the very goal of your life is to be in the presence of God. Here in Christ, but even beyond the grave in the presence of God in heaven. Praise the Lord. Pastor Chad and I had the occasion to go up to Mount Airy to um, attend the life celebration of Miss Ernestine Chapel, Derek Puckett's 101-year-old grandmother who was here for Derek and Sherry's birthday, uh, uh, baptism, not birthday, baptism back in September. And, and what, what a joyful celebration that was. You know the thing, Sherry, that so impressed me, and the pastor did a wonderful job of summarizing this precious saint's life. And if I had to say it in two words, it's win-win. She had a win in life on this side of eternity, investing herself in her family and her friends and in the community and, and worshiping and serving God. But then also, when she stepped over into glory, it just gets better. Amen? Hey, listen, for the believer, it's a win-win existence. Because when we have Christ in our hearts here, listen, all that really matters is not how much money we accumulate or the things we own or, or, or our prominence or popularity in the society. That's not what really matters. It's the fact that you are in the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is in you and that you're a child of God. Let the world say what they want to about you. The fact is, nobody can take away from the fact that you are one of His. And one day He'll call us home into that glorious presence we call heaven one day. And it'll be worth it all after all. Oh, praise the Lord. How beautiful is the tabernacle of the Lord, the Lord of hosts.